we're going to be looking at the Jews, their place in God's plan. Forgotten or temporarily set aside. So I encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 11. And we're going to read the first 14 verses. I'll ask you to find that. To stand in God's honor. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, ears they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgressions means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Let's pray. Master, we simply approach you, Lord. We want to be within your plan. And as we look at a people you set aside through history, Lord. They're yours. And I pray that as we go through the text here. We'll just be reminded, Lord, that you love your people. Show us Jesus, because without him, what hope is there? Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Through history, there have been those who have shown hostility toward the Jews. and There has been prejudice. But the truth of the matter is, as God has been at work throughout history, he has worked through the Jews set them aside as a nation and as a specific people. And the very scriptures that we have is a story of God working through, many times, through the Jewish nation, through those people. That, you know, we have the great, the great stories of the prophets who were Jewish and the patriarchs. And, and then we have those psalms, which were ancient songs that, of worship sung to God. And, and then there are Proverbs, those wise sayings that, that we can look at over and over again and find such wisdom from. 
And even Jesus Christ, the Messiah, not just to the Jews, but to everyone, was Jewish. And sadly, it says that although he came to them, they received him not. They rejected him. And, and you know, as we've looked at chapters 9 through 11 here in a section that puts emphasis on the Jews, and chapter 9, we looked at chosen people. God handpicked, chose them, chose. And then chapter 10, we see how the message of the Messiah in Jesus Christ, they primarily rejected. And then we come to chapter 11, and it's a chapter of hope for the Jew. Although there has been rejection, God hasn't rejected them fully. God has a plan, and it's it's with a bright future. John Stott, a Christian writer, wrote, Paul now addresses himself to the implications of Israel's disobedience. He asked two questions. Question one, did God reject his people? By no means. That's in verse 1, as we'll look at. And he says, one might have expected that since they rejected God. God's rejected them. But this is not so. They're not the abandoned nation they may seem. Their rejection's only partial. A believing remnant remains, as Paul shows in verses 1 to 10. And then question 2. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Verse 11. Not at all. Far from Israel's fall being the end, it is going to be only temporary. Already, in fact, her transgression has resulted in unexpected blessings and God's historical providence is going to occasion many more, as Paul will explain in verses 12 through 32. It's interesting, as we go down here in chapter 11 in verse 5, it says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. A remnant, a small group that follow God, that love Him. It's not the many, it's not the crowd, it's not the masses, but it's a small, faithful group to whom God has entrusted and God is at work. And yet, as we see here in verses 1 through 10, He he will talk about here why God has not totally rejected the Jews. And we're going to look at several reasons here. And So let's just open up in verse 1. I ask then... Did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul's first argument about rejection of the Jews is, I is one. I know that's bad grammar, but uh, I'm a Jew. And as we look at the story of Paul, what what, what an amazing account. Here is a guy whose heartbeat was to destroy those who followed Jesus Christ. He did everything he could to make life miserable for the Christians. But then he had a meeting with Jesus himself. He was on a road, the Damascus Road, and and as he was walking, suddenly he, he was brought to his knees. He was blinded. And in it he said, Who are you, Lord? And he finds out he's Jesus. The very one that he was that he was that he was persecuting. He became a preacher. He went from a persecutor to a preacher. God did this amazing work, and he did it in a guy who was Jewish. He was a Jew. So Paul says, hey, first obvious reason that God's not finished with the Jews is he uses me. He is at work in my heart. 
I mean, as you think of Paul, he seems like the, the least likely candidate. Do you guys remember a few years ago? Probably more years than I can remember. Now time goes. They had this movie Tom Hanks did called Castaway. And it was an amazing acting job because uh, for most of the movie, the, the only other friend that Tom Hanks had in the movie was a soccer ball named Wilson that he had drawn on and he would talk to this soccer ball. That was his friend. And I mean, everybody thought that he had died. They hadn't seen him. And then when he came back to civilization, everybody was shocked that he came back. I mean, that, that, that was kind of how it was with Paul. I mean, there's no way those in the faith that say, Paul? God's going to get a hold of his heart? Paul? No way, man. I don't see, I mean, he's beyond, no. <laughs> he's another great example of nobody's beyond grace. And, and so Paul, as he, he, he talks, he, he begins by saying, I'm an example. Then he moves on in verse 2. Notice the second reason. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. The picture here is God had picked them. And whom God chooses, God doesn't reject. Those whom he saves, he keeps. That's God's heart. Turn with me back to Romans 8. We often quote, many of us, Romans eight twenty eight. It's one of those verses that provide comfort. But how many people can quote verses 29 and 30? It's not quite as popular or well-known. The verses say, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. As he's talking here, he says, those God foreknew. And in our text, he talks about the Jews being those he foreknew. Those he knew were going to come into his trust and into his plan. And and then you have those links of of salvation. It talks about those he predestined, those he foreknew, he called. And and those he called, he he justified. He, He justified us so that our sin is no longer an issue because of what he accomplished at Calvary. He paid the price for us and then glorified, which is the hope. We're going to heaven one day. And we can count on that, that it's secure, that it's, that it's not something we can hope might happen. It's something we can know will happen. It's, it's secure. You can count on God. Those whom He chooses, He holds. And, and that is the picture here that, that He holds His people. And, and then as we go back to our text in chapter 11, He uses the example here of Elijah. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appeared to God against Israel? Elijah is one of my all-time favorite Bible characters in the Old Testament. Man, what an amazing account. I love the story. As God comes to Elijah and he calls him to go against the grain of of Ahab and, and Jezebel. And, and there are these. It's like 750 prophets of false gods. That, that he stands against. And, and what a picture it is. Elijah comes out there. And, and, and man he's against all these 750 prophets. And, and we're going to have a showdown. Between the Lord God and your God. 
It says they went crazy. They danced around. They cut themselves. They made these incredible altars and trying to get their gods to, to act. But they didn't. And dude, I love it. Elijah just stands there. He covers. He digs this trench and, and he covers the offering, the, the sacrifice with all this water. I mean, just, just buckets of water where it flows over into the trench. And then he just simply calls out to God. And it says the fire comes down and burns up the sacrifice. I mean, oh, wow. And, you know, you would think after that kind of experience, you think you could attack hell with a squirt gun. You'd say, man, God is at work in me. But Elijah was fatigued. And then Jezebel sent this message. I'm going to send a hitman after you. Your days are numbered. And he got worried and he took off running. And he got exhausted and he, he sat under this juniper tree. Oh, I wish I could just die. I just, it just, life's awful. You know, and so as he sat there sulking, as he sat there having his pity party, you know what I love as we look through that? God never says, Elijah, quit your whining. I'm going to smack you upside the head, son. It doesn't ever say that in the scripture. He gets up again and he runs off again. He goes to this cave and he's sulking again. Still, God is not rough with him. But he's gentle. And as we look in the scripture, it says that God didn't come in, in the fire. He didn't come in the strong winds. He didn't come in the earthquake. But he came in a gentle whisper. <laughs> and then as we come in the scripture, he, he said in that cave, uh, as it says according to verse 3, I'm the only one left. I'm the only faithful one, God. I'm it. Hey, man, it all relies on me, God. And what's he say? He says to him, as it says uh, here recounted in verse 4, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000. You're not alone. God is at work. He says, Elijah, there is a remnant, many more than you're aware of. I'm on top of it. I'm at work. There are, there are times we feel that way, don't we? God, I'm the only one here, God, and, and I'm getting beat up, and Lord, you've forgotten me. This is a reminder. God hasn't forgotten you. Hey, God is at work, and He often chooses to work through small numbers by working through something that seems impossible. I, I love Mark 10, 27, where it says, With man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then in Luke chapter 1, we have that great song by Mary when she finds out that she's going to be mother to the Messiah. And then you come down to verse 37. And in the NIV, it just says, nothing's impossible for God. But I love it in the Amplified. In the Amplified, you know where it takes a sentence and makes a paragraph? It says, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. For no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. I love that. No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Hey, it's the power of His grace that's at work. It's not our power. And as he's talking to these Jews, who they get so caught up in their traditions and, and in fulfilling their laws, and, and they're missing the point that it's not how good they are at that. It's how awesome and great and perfect God's sacrifice of Jesus Christ is. That's where the hope is. That, that's where the hope can be trusted. And then he comes down here to a third reason. 
there's time of discipline given to the Jews. Look at verses 7 through 10. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. I so they could not see, and ears they could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs bent forever. He quotes from Isaiah 29. He quotes from Psalm 69. And, and basically talks about you're going to go through a spiritual spanking. Because your heart's closed. It's a time of, of learning so that I may get your attention as he's, he's talking to his people. But it's not so that he will reject them. It's so they'll come back to them. But in the meantime, as he's at work through this discipline, there are two reasons and blessings that are given that come as a result of the discipline. Look at verse 11 as we discover these. Again, I ask, did they stumble so to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In other words, God got a hold of Paul so the message could go beyond Israel and so that you and I could hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. So part of this setting aside was that the message might go out to those of us who are not Jewish so that those of us who did not grow up in in the Jew, um, the Jewish nation and part of the Jewish festivals and, and um, their laws, that we might hear a message that counts. And, and so that's, what, that's, what he, that's the first reason that he gives here. And then the second reason, notice here in verse 11, to make Israel envious. The picture here is that as they begin to rub shoulders with people who have met Jesus, with people whose lives have been changed and transformed because of a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they'll hunger inside for more than, than just the performance of I got to do this and I got to do that, where there's a joy and there's a freedom and, 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 and there's just a... a, a Something that's attractive and something that's magnetic. And, and so the second reason he gives here is so that the Jews can see the power of God. And those of us who are totally undeserving, those who they had looked at as being dogs, and you know, the low, the low part of the social strata, that's where God worked. He went to the slums to show his grace. And, and, and that's his power that he's at work. One commentator used the, this illustration. He said, imagine it's about closing time and you go into one of your favorite restaurants in town and you sit down and you're trying to think, well, let's see, what do I order? I don't have a lot of money. Maybe a grilled cheese sandwich. Maybe a small bowl of chili. You look across from you and there's 12 to 15 Jews and they're eating ribeyes. No, no, prime rib. And I mean, you know how the how the smell of a good steak it just it just comes, and I and you look over there and you say, oh man, I wish I had enough money to order one of those one of those prime ribs. And you 
They sit there, and then a strange thing happens next. One of the Jews stands up. He talks for a few minutes. And they say, you know, this is not what we want to eat. Let's leave, guys. And so they get up, and they walk out the door. Uh, they Well, before they walk out the door, they say, look, you know, we're going to leave a generous tip. We're going to pay for these prime ribs, but this is just not what we need to eat. And so, you know, everybody's confused, but it's like, okay, that's fine. And so they head out, and they drive off. Well, in the meantime, it's right at closing. You're basically the only one in there. Your server comes over to you and says, you know, this is a good cut of meat. We don't want to throw this out, so uh, would you like to have a? like to have a piece of this meat. Come over here. We've got the other staff. We're going to enjoy this. You go over there. Oh, man, it's so good. You know, you cut that thing open, and you know how it just melts in your mouth. I better quit. I'm going to get you all so hungry, you won't hear anything else to say. So anyway, um, you're eating it. You're enjoying it. And let's just say, you know, those guys, those Jews, they get down the road, and they say, you know, what were you thinking? Let's go back and back and get that prime rib so they come back and they've already locked the doors of the restaurant so they look in the window and they see the staff and you eating the prime rib that was theirs now that's envious it says to make israel in that's some envy so let's just imagine that they happen to go around and there's a there's a side door and they managed to come in the side door and the guy says look we, we can feed you but we're about closed up and we don't really have much left but you have to eat what we say. It has to be according to our plan. Or you can't have anything. And so they stomp out mad again. That's not what I want. It's not my way. There's only one way to God. And it is through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. There's no other way. We don't choose another way but they're envious the picture here is envious as they see god at work in us as they see the power of jesus christ touching and changing lives they say you know this is something that i want look at verse 12 uh, but if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the gentiles how much greater Riches will their fullness bring. You know, as he talks about a fullness here, there's so much here. Uh, the, the Jews aren't forsaken. The Jews aren't forgotten. They're, it's just on hold for a time now. And, and the scripture talks about that uh, one day God will rule and it'll be in Jerusalem where he sets up the throne and the king will be Jesus Christ and it'll be a perfect environment. We don't have to worry about pollution and and all of this stuff, there'll be none of those problems. And there'll be unending peace. And we won't have to worry about the great accuser, Satan, and his demons. It'll be a great reign, a thousand-year reign. And, and, and things will be as God wants them to be. And, and, and there's that call of fulfillment that will occur. It's coming. It's coming. All right, let me close this thing out here with two truths. Um, unlike mankind, God does his best work through a remnant. God doesn't have to have the majority crowd. Matter of fact, God has a way of bringing glory when it looks like this is impossible. How's it going to work through you and me? And he does. And so to keep in mind, you may feel, who am I? What can I do? 
How's God going to work through me? Man, you may be in just the right place where God can do something through you. Sometimes I think when we think he's using us, we're kind of missing the point. As he has an opportunity to be glorified when we're out of the picture. Uh, we had a, a, Cindy had a seminary professor. I actually didn't have a professor. Meaning of which, she's in Florida with her family. Her, Walter, and Shirley headed down there. I'm trying to survive a couple of days without her. I tell you what, I'm rotten. But anyway, that's another thing. Um. Now, you know what? I just lost my total train of thought. I thought about needing to be taken care of. and uh, Guys, oh, man. Um, okay, he does his best work through a few. Let me just move on to the next point. I'm probably out of time anyway. Unlike the world, God keeps his promises. A lot of promises can't be trusted today. And I'll just be honest with you, it seems like the older I get, the less likely I am at first glance to trust somebody. Maybe that's a terrible confession. Uh, years ago, my parents owned a little restaurant in Tuxedo, North Carolina. Freeman's Lunch. And back in those days, uh, it was tough times. And there was one guy, and he had a problem, and he was going to lose a lot. And So, not that my family had much, but... Um, they were going to loan him some money. And he had some land that he just exchanged for the money, basically, um, that he needed. And so that land was passed down to my sister and I. And there was right-of-way on the land, but it was, in the deed, it was a handshake. So when it came time to look into that, I mean, you know, the chances of honoring a handshake... It's not like it was in those days. In those days, if a guy said, this is it, and, you know, it's a handshake, that's the way it was. It's not like that now. There are many promises that you just can't trust. But God's not like that. You can trust God. You can put your hope in God. God has a plan for the Jews. God has a plan for those of us who he calls through Jesus Christ. And it's a plan that we can rest in. Without him, there is no plan, except that we're going to be without who we need, what we need, when we need it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for a time to look at the Jews, Father, that you have not forgotten them or forsaken them, but rather, Father, that it, this is just a time to be set aside, Lord. Maybe someone here feels set aside. I pray, Father, that you might provide the strength and comfort. May we all see, Lord, that you love us. And when we receive the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, we're yours. We're grafted into your family, adopted, as the scripture says. And, Father, we matter. And I thank you for that. And, Father, I pray if there's one here today who... Father has thought about you, but for whatever reason has never stopped and said, you know, I need to, I need to trust God through Jesus, and I, I need to really be a part of his family. And I, I've been trying to do good things, but I need he who is good in my life. Well, I pray that this might be the day to, to say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, live in my life, change, transform me, 
Father, we love you and we need you. Maybe one needs to come to the altar and pray. Then, Father, bring us to the altar to pray. Maybe there's something to share with the body that's here. May we share. Father, I just want you to be glorified. So work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.